This is the Lattice Training Podcast, where we bring you the best in climbing performance and training from the world's elite athletes, thought leaders, and coaches. If you tuned into this podcast to listen all about power and strength training and preparation for boulderers as part of the This or That series, I just want to Note that there is a part one to this episode that I recorded previously and is available on this podcast, which covered the two topics of system boarding and bouldering and looking at the differences that we have between those two methods of training and their suitability, when you might look at those, when they might be more appropriate, and also the pros and cons of both of those. So if you have arrived at this particular podcast, it's the first time that you've dipped into this this or that series. Just a note for you is that what I'm trying to achieve with this is split out and give you some context and background as to why we may use certain methods or tools or ways of climbing, training, preparing for performance, which often in the climbing community can become quite polarized in the sense that people will go, you should do this or you should do that. And it's one or the other, kind of like a binary thing. Whereas in reality, climbing and many sports don't operate in that way. It's about finding the appropriate balance and the appropriate choice of particular methods or tools at the right time of the year or to suit your goals, etc. In this episode, though, I'm going to be concentrating or focusing more on the strength and power elements to climbing for boulderers. And we are very specifically dealing with bouldering here. And if you look at both of these methods of high intensity training, we all intuitively know that it has to make up some part of our performance cycle and also our preparation cycle. But where do you find the balance with those two? Which one do you want to use at which time of the year and which methods are appropriate for bringing out ultimately probably the the best performance or grades that you're aiming for. So let's have a look first at the pros and cons of strength training and power training, just to kind of cover the headlines and give you some understanding of why you would use both of those, because one is neither better than the other. It's just they have different aspects to them. So first off, strength training. Pros first, max force is the the kind of number one advantage of training strength. You're generating the ability to be able to generate the maximum amount of force through whatever muscle group it is that's involved with that exercise or test. And you should note that when we talk about max force, this is always going to come with a lower degree of speed or velocity. Just from a practical sense, if you watch someone doing a maximal squat, you're not going to see them doing that really fast. So this is a little clue to what we're going to see on the power aspect of this equation, which is more velocity-based. So high degree of force, but slower speed. We're also going to see through strength training an increase in tendon stiffness, which again is a really big benefit. It essentially means that we can 
deliver a greater amount of force through the connective tissues that we're generating from our muscle through to the ligaments and the bones and the contact surface that we have on the wall or in a particular strength exercise. And it's it's kind of a mechanical thing, which improves the amount of strength that you're able to exert through the basic element of force that you're generating through the muscle. You also have an increase in anaerobic work capacity through working strength training. And this is gonna be excellent for high intensity efforts. And we're talking about both some metabolic improvements, but also generalized work capacity and fatigability of that high intensity capacity in training or performance. We're also gonna see a reduction in injury risk for the most part through strength training. And it's not to say that strength training doesn't become with its own risk itself, it does. But long-term and consistent strength training is very tied to reducing injury risk. So a major pro on this front. And then we're also gonna see improvements or gains in muscle mass or hypertrophy through strength training. And depending on the portion of the population and your aims, this is on the whole a really good thing, especially when those gains in muscle mass are associated with sport-specific muscle groups. Arguably, it's not gonna be the greatest benefit to increase muscle mass in muscles that have very little to do with climbing or are not a limiting factor in any kind of way. But most certainly, if it's involved with climbing and it's going to affect performance, then increasing muscle mass is a good thing, especially in our youth athletes and then also in our aging or senior athletes. Now on the downside of strength training, and there are some, so it's not to say that it's all good, it's things to be aware of, is that you're gonna see a lower speed generated through doing a lot of strength training. If you overemphasize and only exclusively do strength training, you are not going to be the fastest athlete when using those muscle groups associated with that strength training. You're also gonna potentially develop a habit or a coordination of over-gripping um, or even over-pulling, if you wanna put it that way, on the climbing wall. And it's not to say that all climbers will end up down a deep, dark hole on this front, but it is a, a repercussion of strength training and it is a higher one in certain types of climbers. I think for the whole, I would say climbers who I've watched over the years who are already prone to being strong for the grade and over gripping will go further down on this particular aspect when it comes to a lot of strength training. In contrast to what I just said about increases in muscle mass being a good thing, for some, increase in muscle mass can also be seen as a bad thing, or maybe I shouldn't say bad, it can be seen as a factor which needs to be taken into account due to the nature of climbing being a power to weight ratio sport. And it really comes down to here the benefits of that muscle must gain and how that relates back into performance. So certain parts of the body we see very, very clear benefits to, others a little bit more debatable. And then further is that we have this equation where it may not just be useful to put on even more muscle mass in a part of the body which is limited by, you know, strength training.
Um, so let's talk about the shoulder girdle, for example, is there may well be a point where you don't need to focus on gaining muscle mass or hypertrophy because actually the lower hanging fruit here is a degree of tendon stiffness or muscular coordination or a higher degree of recruitment. All of those are aspects that go into the strength equation. And I don't think that we should always see muscle mass as being the sole factor that we can work on. Muscle, muscle strength is a multifactorial thing. And I know we've written some articles on this uh, on Lattice um, that you can find on the blog on the multi multifactorial element here. And you should have a little explore of that because there are a whole number of elements that go into it. If we go over to the power side of things, then we're going to see a lower level of strength or base strength needed to be able to exert high intensity movement on the wall. So in a practical sense, this looks like being on a system board and you have a long move between, let's call it a 50, a 50 degree system board, and you have two in-cut 25 mil edges and you have a long move locking at deep shoulder width or deep shoulder depth to catch another 25 mil edge. There is a certain degree of strength that you need to be able to do to do this slowly and relatively statically. But there is also a degree of strength that you need if you execute this movement in a powerful manner. So the argument, the logic is, is that if you're able to develop a degree of power or focus on power over the strength element, you may not actually need as much strength as you need. And I've seen this a lot over the years, especially, dare I say it, with the guys, you get overly strong, but you completely, or not completely, but you ignore a lot of the power speed element of climbing. And you just don't need to be that strong to do those moves, um, even if it's just to the aspect of coordination um, in this element of high intensity movement. The other real pro of power training is that you will develop a high degree of skill on this exercise or this training. There's a lot of coordination involved with this. Um, and I would say there's also a fairly strong degree of mental control or mental agility involved with power training. And it's something which is a lifelong skill. And if I watch climbers who have had five to 10 years worth of consistent power training they've done, they are a very, very different type of climber versus the one who's spent 10 years strength training and has maybe only done one or two years of power training. So don't think of this as just the, oh, I'm fine tuning the engine here. There's a very definite skill element to it. And getting involved with this type of training is going to be a massive pro on that side of things. The other positive element that I see out of power training is that you'll often see the larger muscle groups activated in this form of training just due to the nature of the length of the moves, the speed of the moves and those larger muscle groups getting involved with the shoulder girdle, the lower back and the lower body. And that's a good thing because we're actively working those muscle groups. We're developing muscular coordination with them. We're doing a, a degree of strength and conditioning them when we're even doing those powerful movements. And ultimately you're developing skill 
at the same time for that. On the downside, then we will see a reduction in maximal strength through solely focusing on power training. So the maximum amount of force that you can do will go down in this scenario, which may not be a terrible thing, but it's something to be aware of. You will also see, in my experience, a slightly higher injury risk by doing more power training or focusing on power training, particularly in athletes who haven't got a long history of power training and the skill element, the execution element might be lower in power training. And then also is that you have no increase in muscle mass through power training or very, very negligible. So if you're a climber who is aiming to put on some muscle mass in whatever part of the body is that you're working, do not see power training as being a tool for that. So if we come back to the original kind of premise of this or that and when we should use strength training and when we should use power training, then let's tackle strength training first and think about why would you choose this focus or balance of training over power at any particular time of the year. And I think top of my list has to, it has to be maximal force. If you are a climber who is trying to generate the capacity for maximal force in the forearm, the arm, the shoulder, the leg, then strength training is your number one tool for this. And it's something that needs to be for almost all athletes worked on for year after year after year. And it's an aggregate factor. It's something which doesn't build up to whatever level and then all disappear as soon as you come off the, the gas. It's something that builds on from year to year. So if you're trying to improve long-term that maximal force as an athlete, it needs to be focused on and it also needs to be worked on every single year. And as I said a little bit earlier, there are a whole number of factors that go into maximal strength training. So I'd really recommend having a read around those because I don't want anyone listening to this podcast to go away and think, ah, oh, it's just recruitment and it's just max hangs or, or max force. Um, that's not the only thing that goes into this strength training equation. You also will see or, or when to set a train, your strength training is when you're trying to improve muscle mass, um, particularly or, or via hypertrophy. And that's another good time to choose strength training over power training because it's the physiological adaptation that you see from it. Uh, you're just not going to get it from power training. So this really relates back to, in particular, those two key groups that I see with our youth athletes and then also our aging or senior athletes who really need to make sure that they focus or maintain a pretty strong balance of strength training every single year and to a greater part, a lot of the year. So don't overdo it on the power training, even though there's plenty of pros from it for those particular um, uh, age categories. Another part of the strength equation of when I would really want to see a focus on it is during the base season for any climber. And this is where you will put down the foundation of force that you can generate in any particular muscle group. 
you'll condition the muscle for the higher intensity work. You'll increase the work capacity in high intensity in that anaerobic range or zone. And you will also change the nature of some of the connective tissues in the muscle and ligaments associated with generating maximal force. And that base work, foundational work, is so critical to where you go into the peak parts of the year where you're in competitions or you're going away on a trip or the season is the best temperatures and you want to get on your projects. And that's where you start to refine those things with other methods or modalities of training, like your power training, your power endurance, um, depending on the, the specifics of the goals that you have as a boulderer. I think one note that I would make on the balance or the way that you use your strength training as a boulderer is if you are a very, very static style climber, and in particular, if your projects demand a static nature of climbing, then I think it can be the wrong choice to not work strength for a really long part of the year. So basically cycling in and out of strength and power training if you're more of that static, slowest type of climber. And I say this in the sense that if you're one of those people and you haven't yet developed the movement and the skill set of moving dynamically and powerfully, which may take two, three, four years to really improve on, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to work a long block of power training and potentially not see the improvements on rock or on your project because you're still playing to your own personal weaknesses. So I just want to kind of put that caveat out there that if you're going to be working on something which is almost your anti-style, just be aware that the results may not be as quick or as instant as you want. So it's not a case of no, never do power training and work strength 100% of the year. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be aware that if you're in that particular niche of group or type of climber, then you may not see the best response from that in year one, for example. But it is worth it in the long run. Now, when it comes to the power element of training and when you would choose this in more emphasis or over any strength training, I think the top thing that should sit on the list that you have of reasons of why you would choose this would be maximal speed and distance of moves or movement on a wall. The speed element, I think, is reasonably obvious because we often associate power training with speed. It's, it's, a, it's a faster, higher velocity exercise. But the distance element, I think, can be overlooked because a lot of projects that we have or might choose have very long moves on them, but we can in times default to thinking, well, I'll just lock harder or I'll just be stronger for this move. I need to do strength training. But I don't want you to think that. I think that is a mistake. It's better to associate a lot of the time with big moves and distance between holds as being the terrain and the zone of power climbing or powerful climbing. And that if we can go away and work on that element to address the needs or the demands of that project, you may see better results than going back to just getting even stronger. I'm definitely one of those climbers. I'm quite static. I'm a root climber. I've been a track climber for many years. 
and that's my default go-to. But actually, if I prepare, speci prepare specifically for those longer moves in a more powerful manner, they go down way, way quicker. And I'm always very aware of it when I go into those performance cycles of thinking, oh, this feels really unfamiliar. I'm not particularly into this whole powerful thing. But two weeks down the line, I'm going, oh, wow, I'm so glad I've done this because I probably would have had to work for eight to 12 weeks just developing the specific lock strength to be able to do a move in that style. And maybe I still wouldn't have even achieved it. And in this way, I've done it more efficiently. I require less strength and I'm more likely to get up the project. I also think that power training is a really good choice for anyone who is trying to increase their application of strength on the wall. So for you climbers out there who are told by your friends or you just know that you're strong for the grade, very static for the grade, a slow mover perhaps on the climbing wall, I think power training and systemized power climbing or training on the wall is a very, very good choice. And for this group of people, I would suggest slightly overemphasizing the amount that you do this through the year is a really good added benefit into your long-term progression as a climber, not just because of the skill element. There are mental and technical and physiological elements to it. And this group of people, I thoroughly recommend it too. Third on my list for when you would choose to do more power training and emphasis of it over strength would be during the peak climbing season, whether that's aiming for a particular project or the temperatures and the conditions outside are better for the two months of the year, or it depends how many seasons you have wherever you live, or even competition time. And that power training should most definitely increase during that period of year. And do remember that power takes some time to develop and those who are very well refined in their power training may see really significant improvements in power from just two to four weeks of training. But those who have a much shallower depth of history in this form of training might want to look at training this closer to four to eight to 12 weeks of leading up to it because there's a number of different factors that will go into their improvement. And you want to do that before you get into that peak phase. Yes, you could complement it during the peak phase, but ultimately you're going to end up losing time because you're now trying to balance doing training and also doing performing. And that's never the ideal scenario. And then lastly, I've put down that power training may be a great choice for climbers out there who really feel like they struggle with putting muscle mass on too easily during strength phase cycles. And I know there are a number of you out there and I've heard conversations from my own clients over the years and just anecdotally at the crag who really feel like this is a problem for them. And power training is a great tool to be able to use on this front. Um, yes, you can go at the strength element and work at very high intensity and very, very low reps and work more in that recruitment zone. But also power is a really good way of increasing the intensity and application of that base level of strength, which you probably have already, and then being able to use it on the wall to get you up harder grades, whether that's short boulders or slightly longer boulders. So I hope you found that little dive into strength versus power useful. As you can see, 
there's always pros and cons to all of these things. And it's about working out how you fit those in at the right time of the year and logically mapping it up with the demands of what you want to achieve. And that's why I try to break it down into these pros and cons of each ones, because if you map up, map up your projects or who you are as a climber with those pros and cons, you'll notice that quite often you'll sit quite heavily in one camp. And that's the one that you want to go after when you're in that situation. If the situation changes and now your project looks different or you've changed as a climber or the part of the season is different, then you sit in the other camp. But I think it's good practice for climbers to make a choice of one over the other in terms of balance. Sure, it may not be 100% on one and zero on the other. It may be a little bit more of a blended approach, but it is generally good practice to have a focus on what you're doing. Just like I would always say for a route climber who might be doing some power endurance training, but also might be ticking over with a little bit of low intensity endurance training or recovery in the background during those training weeks. It's not this binary thing of literally this or that. It's more like this or that, but with a bit of a blend. I will be doing another episode very shortly that will be released on this podcast for route climbers. And that will be a this or that version for you route climbers out there who've been listening. Do remember that if you are a route climber and you're bouldering, this one applies to you. You don't get away scot-free. I know you route climbers should be doing and must be doing a degree of high intensity work in your climbing if you want to get the best out of your performance. So check in with that very soon. And otherwise, I wish you a good day and we will check in soon.